we all, every one of us, have been through difficult times. Yes? All right, right, yeah, sure. We've all been through difficult times. There, there are many things that have happened in our lives that we would call trials or tribulations or difficulties, and we've been through that. But Jesus has something that he says to that. He says, in this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. And how does the rest of that go? Right, 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 right. Say it again. I have overcome the world. And see, as believers, we continue to have troubles and trials just like everybody else, right? But Jesus gives new purpose to that. Where troubles and trials would would defeat us and and press us down, Jesus Jesus reviews those with us and, and in us, and through them, he deepens our faith. Through them, the roots of our faith grow grow deeper. Through them, our relationship with him grows tighter. He uses those troubles and trials to make us more like him because he has overcome the world and he has given purpose to even the difficulties of this world. But like so many things in our Christian walk, things that we learn have both a a here and a later, a now and a then aspect to this. And so we know that Jesus has overcome trials now. But what about in the future? I'm always happy when I can do that without falling. <laughs> in the future, there will be a time coming when there are, there are trials that come upon this earth that we have never seen before. And we're going to talk about those trials today, but what I want to start with is the fact that Jesus is coming again. There is a second coming. There will be a great tribulation that comes upon this earth. But Jesus is coming, and when he comes, he will put an end to that tribulation. And there will be no more tribulation after that. He will conquer all the things that will happen during that time. Now, I want to make sure that you are not confused about this, because sometimes we use these terms interchangeably. First, before this seven-year period of tribulation, the church will be raptured. And what I mean by the church is those true followers of Christ, not people who go to church, but those who know Jesus for his forgiveness of sin, right? They will go, and all those who have died before now, they will be raised up in the rapture, because Jesus is coming to take us home, take us out of the world. Anybody can't wait for that? I can't wait for that. Listen to what the Lord says about this. He says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Those are believers, those who have died, followers of Christ who have died, will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. See, Jesus makes clear that, that he will keep us from the hour of testing, from the tribulation that is about to come on the whole world to test those who live on the earth. You see, the rapture is coming and can happen at any moment, at any moment, and we await that. Wouldn't it be great if it happened before we said amen at the end of the service? Man. I would love to preach the last sermon. That would be great. (laughs) Sometime after the rapture, 
comes a time of desperate tribulation. And then after that, that will end with Jesus' return to the earth. Now the first time he came to take us, we meet him in the air. This second coming, okay, second coming is when he comes back with us and establishes his kingdom on this earth. Jesus' throne will be literally, physically on this earth and he will reign his kingdom in peace, in security, and with righteous justice. But prior to that is the tribulation period and that's what we are going to talk about this week and next week. It's important that we understand the biblical approach to this, this period. Um, I want you to know that that the notes for this sermon are on the table in the back. You are welcome to grab them. I've had a number of people ask, so I just printed them out. I hope they're helpful to you. We'll be going through a lot of scripture today, so if you're taking notes, you might not be able to keep up, so I've provided that for you. Please take advantage of that. The tribulation period is talked about in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it is called several things. It's called tribulation, it's called great tribulation. Sometimes that term refers only to the second half of the tribulation. It's called the day of the Lord, the day or the time of trouble, the time of Jacob's trouble, Jacob meaning the nation of Israel, the hour of testing, or Daniel's 70th week. The most concise description we have in the Bible about this seven-year period is from Jesus himself. He says, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. People, it's worse than anything we have ever seen. It's worse than any hurricane. It's worse than Hitler. It's worse than whatever bad you can think of that has happened in history. This is far worse. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. For the sake of the elect, that would be those who are chosen by God, those days will be cut short. It is a terrible time. And it's coming to this earth. What you have to know is that you as followers of Christ will be taken out of the world before this comes. We don't have to face that. But there will be people who do and they will face it. And we're gonna look now at some purposes, the purpose that Jesus has for the tribulation. The first is to make an end of wickedness and wicked ones. Listen to this from Isaiah, written thousands of years before the tribulation will come. Well, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. So we understand this is God's work. Therefore, all hands will fall limp and every man's heart will melt. They will be terrified. Pains and anguish will take hold of them. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger to make the land a desolation and he will exterminate its sinners from it. The purpose of that time is to remove sin from the world. Brothers and sisters, from the time of Adam and Eve when they turned their backs on God, sin has reigned in this world and death has been the way it went. Jesus is coming to remove that curse and he will do that at this time during the tribulation 
one of the purposes. Now, sometimes we get uncomfortable thinking about God as judge. The world especially is uncomfortable, right? We hear things like, I could never believe in a God who would do this or a God who would, who would take a child or whatever. We hear that all the time. Even in the church, we do that. Sometimes in spite of what the scripture will say in front of us, we say, I have a really hard time believing that. Wait a minute, God is God. God is the righteous judge. He is a good and faithful God. He has always been good. You know, this, this month, this coming month, I'm gonna celebrate a birthday, 60, woo! Yeah. Now, what's exciting about that is in numbers of days, this sounds scary, it's almost 22,000 days. I have had 22,000 days of God being faithful to me. Now, you know what? My life has not been free of trouble. I've had trouble, I've had trials, I've had persecution, I've had all kinds of difficult things happen, but God has been good for 22,000 days. He has the record, right? If I were judge, you would all be in trouble. You would be, right? Because I'm not merciful, I'm not good, except by his goodness. Because God is good, we can fully entrust judgment to him. And through all of history, we have seen God say, people, you are all already condemned because of sin. I just keep offering you the way out. Won't you take it? And people keep saying, no. God is constantly offering his mercy, which is really the next purpose of the tribulation, which is to bring about a worldwide conversion. During this time, during the seven-year period of tribulation, God is going to, to, to just put all out to get more people to come to know him. Although he's clearing the world of sin and sinners, he sends 144,000 evangelists into the world so that the, 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 the entire world would get the good news of the gospel and hear about God's grace and can be saved. He also has two very special witnesses who will do an amazing work and many miracles to prove that God is still seeking people. And then, as if that weren't enough, he sends a witness angel, and the Bible says that he sends this witness angel to every people, tribe, nation, and tongue. In other words, the entire globe will get the gospel, will have the opportunity to turn from their sin and follow Christ. The whole world will have that opportunity. It says in, in Ecclesiastes, God says this. He says, I do, not the I do not desire the death of anyone. I take no pleasure in the death of anyone. Repent and live. You see, when we turn to him, that's when we find life because our life is full of death, right? But Jesus, Jesus gives us and promises that there will be a worldwide co conversion. Next week, our new uh, ministry associate, Greg, will be preaching on these three witnesses that will be here, and you'll get to hear that next week. A third purpose of the tribulation is to purify Israel, to bring Israel to repentance. So here's the thing. God sees the, the trouble that the world is in, and so he picks a man by the name of Abraham, and he says, you have shown faith in me. You haven't done great works, you've just shown faith in me and I'm going to give you and your descendants the job of bringing my grace to the whole world. But what happened is that Abraham's descendants 
they failed at doing that. They rejected God's call to be the witness throughout the world. They not only rejected his call, but they rejected God himself. And so God sends a Messiah, Jesus Christ, to save them, and they reject the Messiah. Because of that rejection, God is going to purify Israel. You see, Israel is back in the nation now, and that's a beautiful thing because it means that there's nothing left to be fulfilled prophetically for Christ to come back. He can come back at any moment. But you see, they are in the nation, an unbelieving nation. But one day, God is going to make them a nation that believes in Christ and has put their trust in them. Listen to what these two Old Testament prophets say about this time, what it means for the Jews. Alas, what a terrible time it is. There has never been any like it. It is a time of trouble for the descendants of Jacob, but some of them will be rescued out of it. I will refine them like silver is refined and test them like gold is tested. They will call on my name and I will answer. I will say, these are my people, right? And they will say, this Lord, the Lord is my God. Israel has rejected and God will purify them and make them a believing nation. Prophecy throughout Old Testament and New Testament is filled with descriptions about this seven-year period. Here is just from the book of Revelation. I know this is hard to see, but I, I wanted you to just see what this actually looks like. So there are 21 judgments that come during this period, and I'm just gonna read these to you very quickly. And before I do, just to say, there, there is some discussion as to whether or not these are chronological all right, do they happen one after the other or are they happening at the same time during this time of, David, of uh, Jacob's trouble? But first judgment is that the Antichrist will show up on the scene and it says he is bent for conquest. There'll be great war, there will be great famine. Today we know we have the worst famine in the world that the world has ever seen. This will be far greater. There'll be an increase of deaths as a result of war, famine, plague, and animals martyrdom of those who are saved in the tribulation. See, those 144,000 uh, 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 Jewish evangelists are proclaiming the gospel and people are turning to Christ. Many of them will be killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. A great earthquake and a blackout in the skies. Then the seventh, the seventh seal is opened up and we have seven trumpet judgments. One third of the earth and plants are destroyed. One third of the sea creatures die and ships are destroyed. One third of drinking water is polluted. One third of the sun, moon, stars, the heavenly lights will be darkened. Demons are released to torture unbelievers for five months. They are not given permission to kill any of them, but they will want to die. The torture is so bad, it says. Four fallen angels are released to kill one-third of humanity. And then the seventh trumpet judgment opens up, and we have the bowl judgments. Now, if this is chronological, the bowl judgments will fall in the second half of the tribulation and happen rather quickly. And as I read these, you'll see why it must be quick. Painful sores on people. The oceans become like blood and are devoid of life. All water, water sources turn to blood. People are burned by the heat of the sun. There will be extra darkness and pain. 
The Euphrates River is dried up, making way for the kings to attack from the east. By the way, it's kind of interesting because over the years, the Euphrates River has been drying up, you know? And so it's making ways for kings of the east to come and have final battle against God. And there will be a severe earthquake in Jerusalem which will devastate the world. This all happens before Christ comes back. So as we continue to study here, and look at what this seven-year period looks like. We have an unholy trinity. Three of the characters that exist in this time are Satan, the Antichrist, also known as the beast, and the false prophet. Satan has been around from the beginning of time. We are introduced to Satan in Genesis chapter three. That's the first book of the Bible. When when he convinced Adam and Eve that following God's way of life was no good. It would be far better for them to follow their own way, make a way for themselves, really be somebody. They bought into his lie, and it was the way of death. And so because of that, death has come in to all of the world. Death and destruction and decay are the way that everything goes in creation. All of the universe is on this trajectory to end. From the beginning, God promised that he would send a way for that to change, and that was the promise of the Messiah. Right in this same passage in Genesis 3, he promises that through the seed of the woman, I will give a way out of this. But he says that the seed of Satan and the seed of woman would always be against one another. They would be, they would be in enmity. So from that time, Satan has sought to destroy the line of the Messiah, the line of godliness that was from this period. And we see this, we see this in the Old Testament during the time of Haman when he tried to destroy the Jews. We see this uh, when Herod was trying to destroy all of the Jewish babies so that the Messiah would not live. And we see this even just in historic events like Hitler who, who killed the, the lowest estimate is six million Jews. He, des- he desired to destroy the Jewish nation. Why? Satan wants to do this because the Messiah came through the Jewish nation. So from the first book of the Bible all the way to the last now, to the book of Revelation, we read about Satan. And we read this, John, the Apostle John, presents this in a story, and I'm I'm gonna talk through this as we go here. He says that a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and her head, a crown on her head, a crown of 12 stars, and she was with child. So this woman is Israel. the, The nation of Israel. John is talking about this woman. The 12 stars are the 12 tribes or families of Israel. And she was with child. And we're gonna see who this child is. And she cried out being in labor and in pain to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven and beheld a great red dragon having seven heads and 10 horns. And on his heads were seven diadems. Those Those are kingly crowns and his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. So this is Satan. This is Satan. Satan is the the, the great dragon, the red dragon who came and he swept away a third of the stars. It's talking about the third of the angels who rebelled against God with him. They were thrown to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. This child is Jesus. Jesus. 
See, Satan wanted to destroy the Messiah. Why? Because Satan has a hold of the world, and he doesn't want to give anybody up. But Christ has come to overcome Satan and his work and is calling people into his kingdom. And so Satan wants to devour the child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with the rod of iron, semicolon. In this semicolon now, we have the life of Jesus. He doesn't present it here because like in much prophecy, it jumps from time to time to time and we see that here. So John is not going to talk to us about the life of Jesus on earth. The next thing is, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. That's talking about the ascension of Jesus Christ when he went to back to heaven to do his ministry there. Now we jump ahead to the woman that the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. So what this is talking about now, all of a sudden John jumps by the Holy Spirit, jumps to the second half of the tribulation when Israel fled into the desert. And she fled because she had to hide from the work of Satan who is trying to destroy her. And this 1,260 days is simply three and a half years. It's the second half of the tribulation. So why does the woman have to flee? He goes on to explain. He says, there was a war in heaven and Michael, which is Israel's archangel, and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough. Thank the Lord. They were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. The accuser of, our, of the brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before, the, before our God day and night. So what we have is there's this war in heaven because Satan is still trying to take over the throne of God. God's armies under the, the, the leadership of Michael the archangel destroy Satan and cast him out of heaven. So now Satan no longer has access to God. Yes, currently Satan has access to God. And it tells us what he does day and night. What does he do? He accuses us. Satan is before God constantly saying, you see him? No, he's not really one of yours. Look at all that he's done. He's not one, he doesn't deserve what you give him. He's mine, I want him back. He's mine. Satan does that all day long. Now brothers and sisters, let me take a moment here. You and I are very good at playing reruns, aren't we? We sit on the couch in our mind and we look at our past and our past starts running through. Oh, there was that. Oh, that sinful time. I hated that. I wish that wasn't in my past. Oh, that sinful relationship. Why did that have to happen? Oh, those bad decisions I made. And Satan is right next to us on the couch going, that's you. You don't deserve what he gave you. You still belong to me. You're mine. People, do you know who else is at the right hand of God advocating for us? Jesus, Jesus who overcomes. He overcame the enemy. And so you and I are in this battle up in heaven, right? Satan saying to God, look at them. Jesus saying, they've been covered by my blood. 
They're done. They're, Lord, they're yours. I purchased them. With my own life, I purchased them. They are yours. So brothers and sisters, when you go to sit on that couch, get up. Leave Satan there by himself. Let him watch that by himself because you don't need to be there. Instead, you need to think about those times and say, I'm a trophy. I'm a trophy of the grace of God. I'm a trophy of his forgiveness because he has forgiven my past. People, that is the work of God in believers. That's what you and I are, what you and I have because of that. We don't have to fall for Satan. Leave him in, the, leave him in that living room. Let him watch by himself. He's not going to be watching for long. It goes on to say, Woe to the earth and sea because the devil has come down to you having great wrath. Satan's so upset that he no longer has access to God that he's full of anger knowing that he only has a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman, that's Israel, who gave birth to the male child. And the section there, those three dots, is what I haven't included here. In this passage, it says that when he began to persecute Israel and to chase them down, they fled, they hid. They had to hide because his, his anger was so great against them. Many scholars believe they hide in, in what is today Petra. We don't know where, where it is or or anything yet, but the point is they are hiding, hiding from Satan. And he goes to, to, to their hiding place and he seeks to, to flood them out. And again, we don't know if that's a physical flood or by flood does he mean a, a war against them. But in any case, God stops that from happening. He says, you will not touch my children. And so the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the command of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. When Satan makes no headway with Israel, he turns his fierce anger onto the believers, those who have become believers during the tribulation. Our next character is really basically the son of Satan. This is the Antichrist. So what we know, I'm going to give you just some details about the Antichrist and help you understand who this person is. We know that he is a Gentile because the passage that we'll look at says, out of the sea came a beast. And the sea represents Gentile nations. We know that from other scripture. Okay. And we know he's from Roman descent because Daniel says that the people who destroyed Israel or destroyed Jerusalem in AD 70, out of that people would come the Antichrist. That was the Roman people. So some man of Roman descent who receives power from Satan and in fact is, is Satan's man. Everything he does is what Satan just directs him to do. At first, he will seem like a man of peace, and he will use the existing world religion to bring peace to the world. And he will convince Israel that he is the one who can finally bring peace between the Jews and the Arabs. He will convince them that, he says, I will make a seven-year treaty. They will not harm you. I will not harm you. Here is this treaty of peace. They think he's the Messiah. They sign up. We're in for seven years, put us in. We want peace. We're tired of this struggle. So at some point, there's one world government which will divide into 10 kingdoms, which is probably 10 kingdoms of the entire world. But at three and a half years into this seven-year treaty, he will turn his back on them. He will go to war with these 10 kings 
with t- 10 kingdoms and he will kill three of the kings. And then the other seven kings will say, you're too powerful, have, have our kingdoms and he will ultimately be the entire, ruler of the entire world which secures his political power. He will rule all the nations of the world. At this halfway mark, three and a half years into this time, he will break the treaty with Israel. He will set himself up in the temple and he will put an end to Israel's religion, stop their sacrifices, tell them they can no longer practice religion and that now they must worship him. This is called the abomination of desolation. It's throughout scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. And he will eliminate the one world religion that he used to get to power. At this point, he will destroy it. And from now on, everyone in the world will be required to worship him. So he had gained ultimate political power and now he gains ultimate religious power. In every way, Jesus mimics, I'm sorry, the Antichrist mimics Jesus Christ. He performs miracles, signs, and wonders. He points people to worship his father, but his father is Satan. He wears many crowns. He is a king. He also will face a violent death. At some point in the tribulation, he will be killed and raised back to life. So we have a false death and a false resurrection or imitation death, imitation resurrection. And because of this resurrection, people will turn to him in droves. It's interesting because the world has rejected Jesus' death and resurrection, but they will fall for the Antichrist. They will believe, this is the one, look at him. He rose from the dead, I must follow him. For the sake of time, I am not going to read this passage. It is in the notes if you want to grab those notes. There's Revelation 13, one through eight. The next character that we're going to look at is the false prophet. Now there have been false prophets all since, since Jesus existed. There have been false prophets and before that. But there is a false prophet who is coming who will top them all. And the passage here in Revelation 13 continues and says, then I saw another beast coming up from the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but was speaking like a dragon. He exercised all the ruling authority of the first beast on, beast on his behalf and made the earth and those in, who inhabit it worship the first beast. So what's he doing? He's saying, look at the beast, worship him. Look at that antichrist. He's the one, worship him. And his whole job is just to point people to worship the beast, to worship the antichrist. He performed momentous signs, even making fire come down from heaven in front of people. And by the signs he was permitted to perform on behalf of the beast, he deceived those who live on earth. He told those who live on earth to make an image of the beast, who had been wounded by the sword but still lives. The second beast was, the second beast, meaning the false prophet, was empowered to give life to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and could cause all who did not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He also called everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to obtain a mark on their right hand or on their forehead, the mark of the beast, that is his name or his number. So we see that this false prophet is mimicking the Holy Spirit. He exercises ruling authority of the Antichrist just like the Holy Spirit exercises the authority of Christ in our lives. 
He causes people to worship the Antichrist like the Holy Spirit causes us to worship Jesus. He performs magnificent signs in the name of the Antichrist. He orchestrates the construction of a worshiped image and is actually able to breathe life into the image. You know, our word for Holy Spirit is literally breath. And this man is able to breathe life into this image that is set up. And then he seals people with the mark of the beast, just like you and I are sealed with the Holy Spirit. This number, 666, there's a lot of questions about that. Basically, the, the alphabet in, in Hebrew is given numeric, every letter is given a numeric number. When you add up those numbers of your name, it equals a number, uh, and that number is your number. So for instance, uh, the Hebrew name for Jesus is Yeshua. When you add up the numbers of Jesus' names, Yeshua, you get the number 749. Kind of interesting because seven is the perfect number and 49 is seven times seven. So Jesus is 749. Whatever the name of the beast is, and there's no way to know that now, his name will be numbered 666 and everyone will need to worship him. And if you don't worship him and get that 666 on your forehead or hand, you cannot participate in the economics of the day. So this beast has control of the political powers, control of religious powers, and now control of economic powers. One thing I wanna say, I, I have heard Christians say that they're afraid, like what if we, somebody accidentally gets that on? It will be so clear. It will be so clear that it, it demands worship of something other than God that if, if any believer in that time were to, were to be faced with, you must get this, they will know not to because it's, it's controlled or it's connected so tightly with worship. It's bad news, isn't it? Wow. This was hard to prepare this week, let me tell you. But there's good news. Jesus Christ is coming back. And when he comes back, we will come back with him. And he will establish his throne and there will be peace. And do you know that, that when he comes back, it will be because of the battle of Armageddon, which we'll talk about in the future here. And the Antichrist has, has rallied all of the armies of the world to fight against God. Jesus comes back and listen to what it says. It says, and Jesus will kill the man of lawlessness with the breath of his mouth and bring him to nothing just simply by the appearance of his coming. Jesus doesn't even fight. The Antichrist sees Jesus and he is done. And then the Antichrist and the false prophet are bound and thrown into the lake of fire for eternal punishment. Satan is also bound at that time and, and eventually will be thrown into the lake of fire as well. No power anymore. God has overcome. So what does this mean for us? Well, first of all, it's a call to make sure we are following Jesus Christ. If you are here today and you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't want to go there. You don't, and you will miss the rapture. The rapture is coming to save us from that coming wrath. If you're not a believer here today, today is an opportunity for you. God is giving you this opportunity, and he is obviously calling you, or you wouldn't be here to hear this message. So at the end of this service, you want to talk to me about that? Would you come down? Would you come and talk to me? Because I don't want you to go through this. I would love for you to be on the side, the winning side, the conquering side, the overcomer side. That's where you belong. That's where Jesus wants you to be. 
So be there, be there, come and talk to me. We'll, we'll get you set up and tell you just how wonderful it is to follow Christ, for him to make sense of your life. For us believers, we need to make sure we're living right. Repent, repent of your sins. Give them over to Jesus who has forgiven them already. And I just want to close with this passage and then we're gonna do this something together here. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? That's every believer. Apostle Paul, who will bring a charge? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Jesus Christ is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. You see, Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding for us. I've covered them. They're covered by my blood. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Ah, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. People, God doesn't work in sometimes he judges, sometimes he loves. His judgment is love. He loves this world and he's calling the world to himself. Those who have come to him get the privilege of being covered and overcome by him and we overcome the world. And so as we close together, we're gonna do something interactive. I need you to stand up. I'm gonna ask you a question. You know when you ask questions in a wedding, the answer is always yes, right? All right, today the answer is no. I'm gonna ask you a bunch of questions and I want you to emphatically say no. If you are a believer, say no with thanksgiving in your heart. Is there anything that can separate you from the love of Christ? No. Amen, amen. Uh, will, will tribulation? No. Will distress separate you? No. Persecution? No. Famine? No. Nakedness? No. Peril? No. Sword? No. Is there anything? No. Amen. Now go in that love of Jesus Christ because he has paid the price for you. Amen.